Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your next jig order today. You're listening to Bass Fishing for Moves on the Paddle and Fin Podcast with your hosts Ryan Milford and Sean Lambert. Welcome back to the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Lavery, and with me as always is my co-host and pal, Ryan. What's up, buddy? What's up? Well, uh, we'd like to welcome back all of our listeners to the show. Uh, tonight we got uh, another epic guest, uh, Mr. Jedediah Plunkert. Uh, he's going to join us tonight. Uh, we're going to try and talk about some topwater stuff, but uh, we'll start off by, I know Jedediah, I think you've been on uh, the other shows once or twice before, so... But uh, for uh, our listeners, we'll let you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself in case they don't know you and uh, tell us a little bit of how you got started in fishing, kayak fishing, and, uh, you know, we'll go from there. Cool. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Um, So I originally grew up, like, in the Mid-Atlantic region. Um, I started fishing at a young age. A lot of the tidal Potomac area early on, um, you know, farm ponds normal stuff that I could get to outside of like the Baltimore area, uh, travel along like with a bicycle, you know, uh, bringing a rod or two across the handlebars, back in a backpack full of lures, auditioning all different types of things of maybe where I could catch fish, you know, maybe it could be trout, a lot of bass, learn how to crappie fish. They have, uh, some reservoirs around that you could get into via questionable access at times, but, um, you know, I learned a lot through there. Um, Learned how to fish some rivers at a pretty young age, I would say, maybe 10 or 11. I got started on the Shenandoah River, like in Shenandoah, actually, Shenandoah County. So a friend of my father's introduced me to canoes and moving water and how to fish moving water. And from there, I just loved it. I would go down for a week 
and uh, and just stay. You know, if I wasn't in the canoe, I'd be working the banks and waiting and, and learning more or less what not to do at that point. But uh, had a good time with it. So years went by. I fished pretty much daily when I was a kid. Um, got into high school, moved around quite a bit. Got into tattooing, and then. Um, you know, a few years into tattooing, I was probably in my early 20s. I got back into fishing, worked with one of the co-workers that got into uh, the kayak scene. That was early one. And I got my first boat, and then it was just like, it just lit a fire. You know, I think that was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, maybe a little better even. But I got some pictures dating back from some of those times of, you know, one of those early one, like uh, Swifty nine and a half foot kayaks and very questionable rigging that I did, you know. <laughs> it was all do-it-yourself back then, right? It was, yeah, and I set sail, and um, I remember being at some of the, you know, outdoor shows, and I think when I met Jeff Little, that was the big turning point, and I more or less stalked that guy, like, after meeting him, you know what I mean? I've, I've learned what you could really do, like, with, <clears throat> excuse me, with smallmouth and you know, kayaks and this, these areas you should get access to, you know. So I bought his book. I started talking to him a lot. And, you know, I think he had like a lower company at the time. So just pursued more and more information from that guy, you know, learning how to rig stuff. Uh, became really good friends with him. He you know, became one of my best friends and then eventually like a manager to me with uh, Wilderness Systems. You know, that was probably four or five years back. But um we did a lot together, you know, so that's, like I said, that was kind of the fuel that set the fire into, and deep water, large mouth, and snakeheads, you know, we'd comment a little bit about snakeheads in the past, um, we'd do catfish trips, and saltwater trips, and, you know, it was just kind of lights out at that point, so I pursued the tournament trail uh, a couple years into, I guess, being more, um, more efficient, professional status, if you will, whatever you want to call it, um and that was that was my platform that's what i enjoy the most i feel like you know i passed on a lot of information i started guiding around that same time so i guess that's kind of a brief history and through that you know i, I pursued a handful of tournament trails in the past i still am involved in some of them now um and i'm not sure where the future's going to take me i'm not I'm not quite still on that yet but we'll find out well that sounds like a lot of fun man and definitely uh I think uh, earned your chops. We've had Jeff on before, and he's definitely an awesome source of information, you know. So uh, I can see where, you know, it'd be addicting just to follow that guy around. So um, so would you say you prefer moving water or, or more uh, flat water at this point? Uh, at this point, and kind of, uh, you know, river I got to fish, I suppose. But I do prefer moving water. Yeah, I still like the rivers. I enjoy reading the water, and I think I like I think I like rivers so much because it's they're ever evolving. You know, they're changing all the time. You could fish the same river a hundred times and never really fish fish it the same way. Essentially, you know, it's always going to move things, any flood or drought or anything. Sometimes it's going to fill in soot in some of those corners that might you know might hold depth in the past, and now it's filled in, or vice versa. You know, so. Uh, the structure is always changing and evolving, and I think fish do that with it. So being able to evolve and move around with that, um, that's a challenge. It's kind of fun. You know, it's not just one deep 
hole or a ledge system in a lake or maybe a deeper, slower part of the river that you can, you know, you can go and catch fish, which I do that too. But I like the things uh, that's always evolving. You know, when grass starts merging in early spring, knowing where to go to find that. And, you know, this time of the year in the summertime, like trying to find oxygenated or fast moving water to where, uh, you know, a few months prior, you're focusing on only the eddies and only the slower moving stuff outside of, you know, current breaks or whatnot. Yeah, I've, I've uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before we actually started recording and, you know, rivers, I've, I'm like falling in love with them there. Well, Duck River anyway, that's where I've been going. But, you know, I, I thought I had river fish before because, you know, go out Stones River here in Tennessee uh, that runs into uh, Percy Priest Lake. But, you know, it's basically, it's like 20 feet deep and a lot of it and, you know, there's not a whole lot of current. You know, there's just a little bit that pulls along. There's no, like, riprap or nothing like that in the areas that I've been fishing. But got up there on Duck River, and, you know, it's like 10 feet is deep. And, uh, and you know, coming up on areas where, like, it's it's coming down so strong. Like, I, I got to get out of the kayak and drag it upstream if I'm trying to, you know, go up river and float back. You know, it's, it's fun. And I uh, actually been getting on a few smallmouth out there. Got a, I can't remember if I talked about it last week, but I got a new PB last weekend. Nice. That's awesome. It, it's n- nothing huge. It's like 17 and three quarter. But, you know, my previous PB was 17 and one quarter. And uh, so got it about half an inch. That's it. Did you get a bunch of pictures of it? I actually didn't. I don't know what I was thinking. I took, you know, uh, we, we got the Paddle and Fin Noobs tournament here, uh, you know, for people that are, you know, newer to tournaments and stuff to kind of get a feel for it and everything, the whole kayak tournaments. And uh, so, you know, I was, I'm in that, and, you know, I got my picture for that, a picture of it on the board and everything, but, like, I didn't get no hero shots, like, holding it up or nothing like that. I'm like... <laughs> Why didn't I do that? <laughs> which, which I, I think part of it was, you know, it had, uh, I couldn't hardly get the hook out. I ended up having to cut the hook out. And uh, so it was out of the water for a while. So I think a lot of it was like I was trying to get it back in the water quick so, you know, it wouldn't die or whatever. And uh, I guess I wasn't thinking about the picture at that point. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. Well, you got one on the board, so you always said as a keepsake technique. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm still waiting to get hit up, uh, or like get a message from Josh Stewart saying, "Hey, let's go float the ducks." You can show me where those 20 inch smallmouth are out there. Yeah, there you go. So, Josh, if you're listening, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> Help the guy out. That's right. So, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get into top wire a little bit. Um, uh, would you say that's one of your go-tos, or is that more? It's uh, I, I mean, it's obviously probably situational a little bit, but what do you what do you what do you think about uh, when and where, uh, and we'll go from there. Okay, so it can be a go-to of mine. Um, in the past, it it was 100%. You know, I would throw top water some sometimes all day long. You know, uh, I look at it now as, as situational. Um, definitely prefer like 
if it's moving water or still water, you know, those flat glass days that are, you know, the water is just still and calm. Um, overcast is always good. You know, they, the fish get moving around a lot. Even some rain sometimes isn't bad. I don't think it turns off the top water bite too bad. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I will throw it. I don't think that it's the my, my number one presentation that I would go to all the time. But, you know, it's a guilty pleasure. You know, I love it when you have something that's putting around on top water and then it's like an effing bomb goes off underneath of it. That's a pretty <laughs> contagious feeling. You know, that's that's awesome. So if they do that all day, yeah, I'll probably would throw it all day. Yeah. I've always, that was one thing when you said about glass calm. And uh, I've had mornings where I've been out like on the lake first thing in the morning and it is like, glass and i always think i'm like well should i throw top water but then i'm looking around and i see nothing else across the surface of the water so i'm like why would it hit something that is not like anything else so that's usually why i don't throw it but it sounds like that's probably the best time to throw it yeah um it's pretty neat when you get to see something that's you know you might be throwing in eight inches or ten inches of water essentially and you bring you disrupt that water so much and then you'll see like you know, this boil or this V just just make a beeline straight to it and uh, and just you know knock this out of it essentially. But it's that's pretty cool. So if you, you'll see that happen too, just with bait fish offside of like grass beds or doesn't always have to be shallow water. They can come out of 20, 30 feet of water as well. Um, Tennessee, from what I take it, they fish some pretty deep, clear water like in the middle of the night, top water, and that's a go-to presentation like this time of the year. So. Um, I've done that as well. You know, we have some reservoirs here that the nighttime thing, I would say that probably would be my number one presentation. I would throw top water a lot at nighttime, um, along with other things as well. But it gives the fish, I think, uh, something to locate, so to speak. And it gives the angler, um, well, verification that you're in the water for one. You know, sometimes you're casting that shoreline. And I've fished minutes at a time and probably have been, 16 feet in a tree off the water. I have that realization to come to at times, but when you hear that, you know, whatever it is, the whopper plopper, buzz bait, uh, popper, whatever it is that you're throwing top water, um, you get that verification. You know, you're doing something right with the cadence of it or the speed of it. You can, you get the, the audible, you know, you get the sound of it as well. Um, and you'll get some fish that miss it as you know, too. But you know you're in the right area essentially at that point because you're doing something right. You you know attracted the attention. Okay. Yeah, I had that happen uh, not too long ago. I, I fished uh, a night tournament. It was a jigs only tournament. It was from like four in the afternoon, ten at night, and uh, there in that last like thirty minutes, it, it was a three fish limit. I had two fish. I was trying to find that third fish, and. Uh, like there was this this wood in the water part of it was sticking up and you know i cast over by it had a swim jig on you know i slow rode it back to me i cast back out there it looked like it landed in the same spot and i'm going all of a sudden i get snagged up i'm like what am i snagged on i didn't snag there the last time and come to find out i was in a limb up above the part that was sticking out that i was casting at <laughs> 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 yeah, they fight pretty good sometimes too. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. I have set the hook on so many logs; it's not even funny. 
Yeah, it was like you give it a good like 10, 20 seconds worth of a fight, you know, at least you're doing something there. But yeah. <laughs> oh, man, hey, I, I was so embarrassed here like a month ago. I was out on the river and uh, I floated by these people, like there's like four or five people in kayaks, like a family. I don't think they were even fishing. I think they were just in kayaks. Man, I, I floated past them. They're all like looking at me and said, like complimenting my kayak and everything so you know you feel good get the big head and everything i cast out and all of a sudden i, I felt some kind of tick and man i it's probably one of the hardest hook sets i've ever did in my life you know i'm, I'm showing out with this hook set and the 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by john browning the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the u.s military from 1911 to 1985 while colt produced the original Almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Like, at first I think I actually have something because, you know, it it didn't like pull out or whatever. Ended up being hooked on a rock. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had to go up to it and pull it out and I, I just... I pedaled away like <laughs> <laughs> it's so embarrassing. Yeah, I just did this big, big hook set like I'm, you know, like for the I'm, fences. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Van Dam setting the hook on a, on a big old fish. <laughs> it was a rock. <laughs> that was the best time, and I've definitely been guilty of like, like, oh yeah, a little bit of show off, you know. Set the brakes on on a good fish and fight it for a good while, and uh, you know you have audience in front of you or whatever, even guiding sometimes, and then you you realize that you have like a seven and a half foot branch of a sycamore or something. But, you know those are, those will get you sometimes, but they can also make for some exciting times of fishing slow. So we'll take it. <laughs> All right, so uh, so we got the when and that where. How let's talk um, uh, rods and line like I. Uh, I've heard mono because it floats, um, but I've heard other things too. Do you do straight mono? Do you do braid to mono, braid to fluoro? Or what's, what is your go-to there? Uh, well, so, um, I, yes, mono floats pretty well, but uh, braid floats very well. Um, and braid is good because it is. there's no elasticity to it. It's just straight, I mean, it's a straight connection to your rod, to your reel. Um, as far as that, like, in general, I'll fish, if the water's clear or whatnot, I'll fish from a, a braid to about a 7 to 10-foot section of fluorocarbon. And I like fluoro because, you know, it's I guess it's more invisible. It's tougher to see for fish than mono, um, and it doesn't stretch at all. So I think an important part of topwater is having that connection. I'll set my drag pretty hard. A majority of the time when I'm fishing top water, I want that that direct connection right to the bait. You know, a lot of times I'm I've even had the rod tip angled right at the bait at the floor when I'm bringing it in. Um, it's not like jigging where you're having a real high rod top rod tip and you know a little bit of a bow in the line. So depending on what presentation that it is that I'm doing, um, you know, I'm usually direct contact. You know, right in line with the floor. So it's always either braid to fluoro, or if I'm night fishing or it's stained water, I'll probably just run straight braid. But back to the conversation of snags, uh, straight braid is pretty deadly, pretty dangerous. If you do get hung up on something that you didn't intend to, 
Um, I think with the either mono or fluoro, that breaking point is essential sometimes. If, you know, in certain situations like uh, moving water, I know early on when I started fishing, I'd get a jig stuck with, you know, on straight braid. And man, you realize how fast that water is moving when the lure stops, but you're not, you know, and trying to get back to it. So that can present a pretty dangerous situation at times. Um, as far as rod, I throw a lot of different stuff. I don't think I'm traditional in the sense of, you know, this rod for this presentation. I kind of match the weight of the presentation, the lure to the rod, but I would say majority of the time that I'm fishing, like say a buzz bait or a whopper plop or something like that, I'm using a heavier action spinning rod, pretty long too. Uh, big hmm. reel. I use like an arbor reel. I think I have one floating around here somewhere. Um, but that big spool, you know, one of those large reels, I think helps with the casting distance. And I think it also helps with like twisting, you know, line twist. Because sometimes you'll do that when you're casting and reeling and casting and reeling all day. So uh, eliminating some of that line twist, I think, is is a benefit as well for some of that. Um, and like I said before, I'll go with a, a pretty tight drag the whole time. Um, just a quick tip, I guess, with that being said as well, like, Fishing buzz baits, um, you know, direct connection to that lure is right before the lure touches the water is when I would flip, you know, flip the bail over a lot of times with just my fingertips. I don't care to uh, to crank the reel over. You know, I don't like that jolting action a whole lot. And I think it's kind of bad on the reel. I'm not, not sure about that. But, uh, you know, I want that bait on the surface the whole time on the way back, you know. But when you do get that take, um, having that line and that drag set tight, you, you kind of want to have a pause when all the excitement happens. You know, you've been waiting for it, you've been casting, um, you see the boil or the blow up, whatever, you know, take is. I almost give it a second, like that stutter stop, kind of a second. Like, feel the weight of the, the fish before you set the brakes on it. Because I've pulled a lot of lures out of fish's mouth, like, just getting caught in that excitement, you know, because they'll smack it. And sometimes it's in their mouth, sometimes it's, you know, still two inches away, and there was just a like a like a false hit or they missed it you know so um all right i guess that goes with the presentation or you know the, the tackle that i use as well to rewind real quick and and by the way i just noticed your Steelers picture in the back uh gill Steelers. <laughs> but uh yeah. so uh, <laughs> but to go back real quick to the line thing just for reference mm -hmm. if you're throwing like a crankbait or a jerk bait or something like that what kind of line are you throwing it on so frank bait is probably one of the exceptions that i do throw more of the monofilament um sometimes i'll have the baitcast and reel set up with only mono at that point i like a little bit of a give with the mono you know with that with that presentation and I, like i said i know that might not be a traditional answer for that well um, no i've the reason I ask that is because I've been hearing a lot of people lately when they're talking about, you know, pretty much any lure with a treble hook, talking mm -hmm. about using mono or using the the fluoro coated line because it does have a little more stretch and it kind of helps, like it kind of helps set those treble hooks into the fish. So when you were saying straight braid with like whopper ploppers and stuff like that, which I use straight braid, I use straight braid with whopper ploppers whenever i use them um but when you're saying that i was wondering if you know you didn't 
like you felt differently about that or if it if top water was just different than you know submerged lures with treble hooks yeah um so to answer your question honestly i don't throw a ton of whopper floppers it's one of those things like when i was guiding a lot um i threw a bunch of them then you know you get a couple of them stuck in like your sure your gear or something and that'll make you not want to throw them too much either but uh, uh oh no but, yeah, i caught one in the nose and what's that? I, I said i don't know i caught one in the nose last year and i still use the hell out of it <laughs> yeah one of our buddies did this year actually in a tournament that i fished against him in, and he sent a picture and i i felt bad i think he hit two both treble hooks in two different spots of his lip and nose and stuff so yeah I, See, I got lucky. Mine hit me in my nose and it cut me, but it didn't actually stick in. It just kind of hit yeah. me and flew over here. But, uh, <laughs> it, it was bleeding for a good while. I, yeah, I think I, I hit a lot of my sunglasses, uh, so I think that absorbed a lot of the hit. Nice, nice. Um, but yeah, with the with the monofilament, um, yeah, I think it is a good idea to run mono when you're throwing things with treble hooks. Um, and that little bit of elasticity, that little bit of stretch, can almost acts like like you were using a moderate action rod. You know, that little bit of give, because um, some of them stick pretty well to the side of fish and in the fish's mouth. And otherwise, like, it's just a small little, you know, bend of a hook. So it's not like you're, you're setting a big four-rod hook into the corner of a fish's mouth when you know they're not going anywhere. Um, something I actually learned, I think it was from Jeremy Wade, actually, like setting the hook on some of these, you know, whatever exotic fish that he was after, and they had a bony mouth. And his hookup percentage went down when he was using more hooks, like treble hooks or twin hook setup. And he found that he kept the fish hook better with the single hook because all that pressure and whatnot went directly into, you know, the fish. Um, so kind of using that, uh, I guess that theory a little bit um I'll probably throw more things with a single hook rather than with a treble hook setup but but i still throw lots of crankbaits and you know jerk baits all that um jerk bait wise i definitely throw uh braid to fluorocarbon i don't care for straight fluorocarbon because of the line memory of it you know uh, when you see those spools like set out a spinning rod or baitcaster and you see those loops that to me i don't care for that uh that amount and i know you get a lot of backlashes from it and to me i feel like i'm always changing it out so uh braid i can usually get a good few years out of most of the time and just constantly re-snip that liter of fluorocarbon um a lot of the jerkbait fishing that i do is probably a little more slower paced than most i mean i, I do some ripping jerkbait stuff as well but uh that dead stick presentation, letting it live in there, you know, I think that's that's important. You know, the fish has time to focus on it and study it. So I want to give it the best chance of looking as realistic as possible at that, you know, at that moment. I kind of, it made me feel good to hear you say about uh, that you use a lot of braid to floor just because I, I don't have a ton of rods and I, so I end up changing back and forth between, I have four basic rods, two spinning, two casting that I use and I, you know, end up changing stuff between those a lot. So, and I run braid to floor on all of them for the most part. So, um, knowing that, uh, I don't have to switch that out, uh, or run one straight mono or straight fluoro that, you know, that makes me feel a little better about, uh, my, 
my options. So, yeah. But I, I see what I see what you said too about uh, mono kind of mimicking the parabolic bend of a moderate action rod. It makes sense because uh, if you may like, I don't have any real good parabolic bend rods, but I can you know add mono uh, easy enough at a mono leader and and get some of that. I guess so. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, uh, maybe not going out with a dozen rods at a time. Like every time you're changing out those presentations, you're not cutting into your main line. You know, it, it's all pretty expensive, braid in, in particular. So when you're just chopping a few inches off that leader and then you replace the leader, you know, you're, you're not actually cutting into your spool of line. So, yeah, I prefer, like I said, I prefer that in general. Um, I like the Seaguar. Um, Things the red label. It's probably the actually the cheaper of it. I've auditioned a handful of all the fluorocarbons, but that's my go-to there. A lot of times I'll run 15 pound on spinning rod, and I'll run 20 pound on bait casters. So 15 is probably a little heavy for most people. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that, that, that's what I was about to say. Uh, you know, we um, we just had this conversation last week. You know, talking about 12 pound on a spinning rod. I'm like. Yeah. Like that just seems really heavy for a spinning rod to me because you know the biggest I'll do is ten on uh -huh. a spinning rod. So, well, but but I'm I'm not that great of a fisherman, so <laughs> you know no, no judging. It just kind of blows my mind. Yeah, and I'll spool the the now my the braid line that I'll use would be like that four pound test or you know four pound diameter, which I think is the equivalent of you know twelve or fifteen pound test. So it's a lot, it's a lot thinner. Um, but I think from spending so much time on the river and breaking off that traditional like six, eight pound test that you would put on a spinning rod, like it just wasn't holding up to the duty of smallmouth fishing. And then getting into fishing structure, um, essentially jigging deep water for largemouth and the heaviest stuff you could find, but doing it in finesse ways sometimes. You know, I've done that for a long time. And um, I've had great success with it. Like, it's maddening when you have something that you know is big and it gets start, you know, it's digging into a uh, log jam or branches or whatever you have down deep and you can't move it. And when you do, you know, you're breaking them off or whatnot. So I think between the structure of rivers, the uh, feistiness of smallmouth, and then say just, you know, jigging deeper for largemouth or whatever it is. Um, that's been a pretty good combination, you know, and, I've, and the same thing, um, snakehead fishing, you know, they live in some very dense cover. There's a ton of grass and spatter dock, and, you know, big, heavy stalk, uh, lily pads, that kind of stuff. To be able to pull those fish out of that stuff, like, you know, I I like it to to know that that knot and that, uh, that line's going to hold. But there again, I've never had any issue with, like, open water fishing it. Um, never turned it off i guess you know so i guess you have confidence in that but uh you know going back to that four and six pound test like real micro stuff uh success rate's probably a little lower for me personally that makes sense so all right um let's see what else can we cover on top water um so for somebody that's you know newer <laughs> to bass fishing and wanting to try out top water for the first time what's the easiest lure in your opinion for them to try out like i would say the easiest with? would be the 
probably be the whopper flopper. You know what I mean? It's sometimes it's kind of a it's a simple lure. It does its job. You cast it, you reel it. You can get creative with it and, and add pauses or almost kind of pop it a little bit. But it stays afloat the whole time. Um, I learned top water with poppers and buzz bait and but it's kind of a combination of that essentially you know the, the whopper plopper is um if you're going to go out and throw primarily only top water i would say you know have your whopper plopper on um but bring a buzz bait too because when you get into that cover um i like smashing like structure with top water i think that change of angle and that explosion that you cause into running it into something inanimate or or whatever situation is, that's a natural, you know, it's a natural instinct for bass to to hit that. You know, it's a bait fish eluding a predator or whatnot, just like a crankbait would work. So, you know, take that take that buzz bait too if you're going to go out and throw the whopper plopper all day, um, and and keep that for maybe you know some of the more snaggy areas, so to speak. You know, open rock ledges or wood pads, grass, whatever it is. Um, As a starter, you know, I mean, I think that's good. I, I definitely get into a lot more technique, I guess, with topwater. Um, some of it I feel like is just by accident you learn things, you know what I mean? I've talked to people that have caught their largest fish, like burning a jig back. You know, they're done the cast 50 feet away, and there's a burn in the back end to hit their next cast. And, you know, you have this jig forming this V across the surface of the water, and then all of a sudden you know, 11 pound largemouth just goes ape shit on it or whatever. Um, if you can replicate those things, I think that's, you know, you're tapping into something different then. That's a new pattern that not every boat in front of you has done, you know. I mean, buzz baits, whopper ploppers, poppers, all that stuff. There's no secret to that. People know about them, they, they fish them. So getting a little bit further into it, um, I'll do things that are, that are a bit different, you know, like skipping a fluke or a large, uh, like soft plastic swim bait. And I mean, burning it as fast as you can reel that thing, um, to where it's out of the water more than it's in the water. You call some crazy reaction strikes because of that. And sometimes it's the, you know, it's a lot of work. It, it pays off big dividends on some days. So, um, fishing some of those presentations, but maybe doing it in a different way can be, uh, can be, you know, the game changer, so to speak. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I've definitely had a few times where that's that's happened to me, where I'm at the end of my cast, just kind of get trying to get it back in, and that's when they hit it. And I, I've done it, and I, I've, I've heard about people, especially on the Susquehanna, talking about burning a fluke back right across the top, like just almost weightless and, and how often that works. And uh, I've tried it. I uh, didn't have a ton of success for it, but I didn't throw it for long either just uh because i wasn't sure i was doing it correctly or you know whatever but uh i've definitely heard that being an effective technique before so it's definitely something to keep in mind 
Yep. <clears throat> the same thing there again, too. I'm not sure how whopper floppers handle with, like, burning them back in because there's quite a bit of resistance there. But uh, buzz baits, what? like, we've had fantastic days. Uh, you know, Potomac, Shenandoah, where the boat is moving full speed and you're casting a structure, you know, along the shoreline or, or whatever, ledges in the middle of the river. Um, so between you reeling fast and that boat pulling it out of those areas fast, and just explosive hits, you know. So that, that bait is moving very fast at that point. Um, you'd be surprised some of those fish that, that will catch it and get it, you know. So. Well, as far as burning a whopper flopper goes, um, last year whopper flopper was my lure. I threw it when it was 100 degrees outside or 60 degrees outside. You know, it. I, I don't know, I had some success on it, and it's the first time I'd had success like that on any lure so i just kind of stuck with it but there was one when, when you said that there was one particular day that popped in my mind stand still there mike um <laughs> but uh yeah one day i you know i was casting parallel to the bank and uh you know just you know, I, I always, you know, do like a steady retrieve, but try to get it where, you know, just that right plop, you know, you, you can hear it whenever it's plopping right, you know. So try to get it that well. I casted, but it was a bad cast. Like, I think I casted like way over off the bank from where I was wanting to go. So, so I was like, I was reeling it as fast as I could to get it back in so I can recast it. And when it was about a foot in front of the kayak, boom, it hit. And, uh, I had him for probably two seconds and he jumped off. So it, there are times where, you know, burning it will be effective. That's it. Yeah. It's a lot of work to do that. If you're going to throw it all day. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> you better have a high speed reel if you're going to burn it all day. Cause you're going to burn up your arms. Another uh, technique, Susquehanna in particular, but it's worked for me in other places uh spinner baits you know just burn them as fast as you can get get them to go with you know they cast that b off of them when they're subsurface essentially and then they'll come up and just pop and spit on the top of the water uh that's been a very productive technique as well um done pretty well with tidal largemouth because of that same thing um so but like you said it's long cast and you're just cranking down on it you know so it's sometimes it's short-lived if, if they're eating it it makes you want to do it more. If you're not, if they're not, then you know you do get tired from it. But now, uh, if you're fishing moving water, when you're making these casts for top water, are you casting uh, upstream and pulling it down with the current, or against the current, or across the current? What's your There's or all of the above? All of the above for sure. Um, kind of what the fish tell you essentially. Um, I would say maybe starting out. Casting it straight across. You know, you want to cover as much water, as many of those seams and breaks and shoots and everything that you can. And so you kind of locate the pattern of where these fish are holding. Um, now, with that being said, you know, that might be the presentation because you're essentially putting it in front of the most fish at that time. Say, like right now, we have low and clear conditions. Um, so if you're just floating and casting, then yeah, I would probably go mostly kind of just straight off the sides of the boat. But also, um, I wouldn't only do that, so to speak. You know, uh, a lot of what I'm doing with topwater is contouring structure and definitely like 
you know, when the sun is up and rocking and rolling, beat in the shade, you know, so if you're going to be right on the bank and you're bringing it, you know, a parallel cast to the bank, there's a lot of fish there, you know, or a ledge system or whatever else, you know, those fish are directly underneath of it. I would try to contour that structure or that shade line. Um, if, you know, you're in the river again, so to speak, uh, this, the, the corner pocket, the side pocket, like right before the current breaks through or drops down into the chute, um, those corner pockets are like, you know, notoriously hold the aggressive fish, so to speak. Um, they're up on there. It's like a hunter in a tree stand. You know, they're looking down over this pool of moving water, and it's a buffet line just bringing them, you know, what, they, what they're what they looking for. So they can dodge down quick into that pool or out into the chute to move and get that, you know, that uh, the prey that they're, that they're looking for. So I will target those areas all the time of that corner pocket where, the like I said, the water is moving around that object. That pillow right in front of it um, is a heavy, you know, topwater area. That's good stuff there. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I've positioned downstream, you know, fishing upstream, and that very quick retrieve of, you know, cast it above the chute and bring it straight down in it. Um, the water's moving quickly through those areas, so you got to stay with the lure and you got to work hard to do that. But the fish can catch it, you know, smallmouth in particular. Um, and also being said, you can fish downstream. You can do kind of a big, long pendulum swing, maybe in that same chute that's behind you at that same point. Uh, you don't have to retrieve nearly as fast. You can almost kind of let the lure do itself, you know, uh, stay afloat on that, on that cast as well. So I wouldn't say there's any rules. I would just say kind of go with what the fish are telling you, you know, if, bait fish are popping along grass lines, then yeah, I would definitely probably try some parallel casts along the grass lines, you know, um, approach from all angles that you can. That's the kind of beautiful thing about, I guess, kayaking is there's no rules, you know, you can kind of get into that position. You're not standing on a shoreline of a, a farm pond or whatever. You can hit it from, you know, straight out or the front side, the back side of it. Um, it may just take a little bit of work, but you can get in position to do that. Definitely some good advice there, because um, I know uh, there's been times when I'm floating down the river and uh, either I'm fighting the current or, or whatever, and and kind of positioning is almost my last, my last thought, just because I'm more trying just to, you know, keep up with myself and my keep the kayak somewhat moving in the right direction, or, you know, um, so, so I I can't always I know a lot of times sometimes they say that. You know they're looking upstream and you want to ha have it coming downstream to them but um, sometimes uh, that's almost the hardest cast at times especially and you tend to get snagged if you're fishing not top water obviously but you kind of get snagged the most coming straight downstream so um, I, I, I think that's definitely good advice to you know that you have almost infinite angles that you can attack something from so don't be uh, tied to just one one direction so that's right. Yeah. And, uh, and like I said, and beat like physically hit, run the baits into uh, some of that structure. You know, if you're there on the river um, and you have all these exposed rocks and everything, I know it's a little bit, uh, yeah, it's a little bit of commitment to run like a $10, $15 hard bait into those things. But, you know, if, if you can pull it off, you'll see some, some pretty explosive hits like that. Um, 
you know, that, that might be the presentation of, you know, maybe one of your like soft uh, plastic top water baits or something along those lines that you can try it with a little bit. But buzz baits are very versatile when it comes to that. Um, so. I know I've talked to uh, Juan Vrood. Are you familiar with him? Uh, I know that guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he uh, he's a big fan, I think, of uh, pulling buzz baits through the the hairiest stuff. You know, the the fast moving water. So that was the first time I'd heard about that, uh, and uh, I've tried that a few times and had some success with it. So. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, fast um, stuff, and then you know, like you said, sometimes there's there's not really any written rules to any of this, but it could be the middle of daylight, sun shining, and you get them in slow, stagnant, dead water, you know what I mean? And they blow up out of nowhere. So uh, I wouldn't only do, you know, one one thing in particular. There's days that I couldn't get a topwater bite, and then there's days that and you spend all day, and you're just wearing, wearing out, you know, all your baits are falling apart and, you know, have hook rats, <laughs> shirts are falling off the buzz baits, and um, those are fun days when you start piecing stuff together in your tackle boxes because you know it's what they're eating. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. Right. And I, I mean, there's such a gamut between just your speed of retrieve on topwaters because there's days I've had where um, I'll be throwing a popper and I do pop, pop, and then let it sit for five, 10 seconds, you know, and then pop, pop. And, you know, so it's, it's polar opposite of burning it, obviously, but. Uh, sometimes that's what they want so i guess you guys gotta try it out and see what's going on yeah that's right yeah and same thing with jig fishing crankbaits whatever it is like uh being versatile is you know definitely an asset to um i think any decent angler you know what i mean so just not fishing one thing one way um you know, just small changes in profile or retrieve or any of that thing can sometimes make a big difference, you know. Um, I have a handful of buzz baits in front of me that some that I made, some that are, you know, production or whatnot. And I can tell you that, you know, the subtle differences going out fishing with four or five other people, you know, sometimes one route as well. Um, one presentation, one of those small differences can, can mean, hey, you're on fish all day or or you're not you know so uh being able to change it up and kind of getting outside of maybe that comfort zone you know we spoke of the whopper plopper earlier and how contagious it is because i don't want to say it's easy but it can be easy you know you cast you retrieve and then hey there's a fish there you know um you can get pretty artistic with the presentation of that bait you know when you start finding out how these fish are staging and what kind of water they're in um you can do some creative things with it so you know changing up the size is one thing the color you know having that uh at your access there is always good you know, having a full tackle box worth of things to try but using that same lure in different manners sometimes too can be that you know, that changing factor for sure do you ever use a trailer on your buzz baits i've tried it once or twice but i think i've killed more fish than anything so oh i'm sorry like the trailer hook i've met um I have, I've used a trailer, like a plastic trailer, uh, a handful of times, like floating, like real soft, uh, swim baits. I've used flukes before. Um, that's actually one of the things I was going to talk about too. So I tinker with a lot of lures, you know, I'm, I'm always making something and painting something or carving something, whatever it is. Um, 
something I found out early on with buzzbaits. Uh, I was fishing hot summer heat, like upper Potomac. And that, that's where I, I definitely did a lot of my, uh, like shuttle trips early on, you know, by myself, I was on the river all the time and I'd cover like an insane amount of mileage, 12, 13, 14 miles a day. And, you know, now I don't do that. I focus on a, a smaller body of water, uh, you know, for a smaller section of water, but I would throw buzz baits a lot. And one of the presentations I would throw a lot would be, uh, like the strike king mini buzz because even in the middle of the day um you can still get hit and that's like an eighth ounce uh buzz bait pretty small really small profile and you could conjure them up and get hits with that to where they weren't hitting those larger quarter ounce or uh, three eighth ounce buzz baits you know so i kind of took that you know they showing me what to do essentially or the fish telling me what to do and started tinkering with more buzz baits, you know, getting into different props, the propeller there, and different beads, uh, wire armatures or whatnot that you can kind of make your own castings with, and different uh, lead, you know, the head mold itself too. But to speak on the trailer part of it, um, I got, I learned that like the sparser amount of uh, the rubber, you know, the, the skirt on the buzz bait, it seemed like you know, I was catching more fish when they would rip a handful of them out or rocks would um, would beat them up enough to where they didn't have much on it anymore. So I, I played around at a fly shop and I found badger fur. Sounds kind of wild, but uh, you could buy it like in small sections. I imagine they tie some type of nymph or, uh, you know, some type of presentation form for fly fishing. But I would take this badger fur and tie that onto a buzz bait and like forgo the, the rubber skirt altogether. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. What I found was is that that bait's pretty cool, or that, that fur's pretty neat because it breathes, essentially. So in between cranking down on this moving bait, um, every every one of the, the turn of the handle, this thing is breathing, which is like rubber does, too. But when you're pulling it through, it has a very thin profile. And badger fur is kind of cool because it's like a white into a tan color. And for every 20 or so hairs, there's a long black one. So what that does on the lure is it looks like a little black skinny tail behind it all. So just changing the profile essentially is what that was. But, uh, you know, it definitely made a difference on some of those trips as well. So if I have the time, I'll tie some of those up now. But it's, it's a lot of work going into something that can be thrown away in a few seconds, you know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, otherwise, um, I've heard, you know, color wise, color selection, um, bone, uh, black uh, is good. Um, any other things you would lean towards? So like uh, I like natural colors a lot. Um, I'll throw uh, Mostly like a greenish or brown, olive tones, bluegill pattern, that kind of stuff. And I think it's more of a confidence just in 
what I like to do. I mean, I've read a bunch of articles, you know, years ago that if it didn't have a white belly, then it wasn't worth throwing or whatnot. Um, you know, a lot of people will eat in chartreuse for top water. And uh, I've had decent success with that as well. But I do like the, the more natural tones, you know. Um, there again, I'll paint some of the jig heads and the custom make the skirts and stuff, maybe a little bands in it or a darker back or um, I like gold flash a lot, gold and copper. Um, those colors I, I try to bring into a lot of my presentations, you know, spare baits included. Um, black at nighttime, you know, black and blue, dark purples, that kind of stuff. Um, I like throwing, you know, big black buzz baits at nighttime for sure. Um, oversized blades, you know, with, with a, a pretty large amount of uh, bulkiness to the, the skirt or trailer, you know, put some extra vibration out there and give them a little bit larger of a target. Um, that also being said for, if you're fishing muddy water, you know, do the same thing in that situation. Um, but, you know, I guess like the, just like fly guys or whatever else, match the hatch. You know, if you see some bait fish, what they're eating, um, I would probably go that way before I would, you know, just stick to one color or whatnot. So, okay. That makes again. sense. Cool. Um, anything else, Ryan, you can think of, man? No. I, I kind of feel like I'm going to end up throwing top water someday when I go out. Man. <laughs> <laughs> that happens you know, to I, me every show. I'm like, oh, well, now I'm going to go throw that. And, and, then, and then you throw it for five minutes and it's like, I haven't got anything yet. Let me go back to my go-to. Yeah. That's why we never yeah. learn anything. That's why we continue having to do this segment on this podcast. Yeah, uh, is there anything else you can think of, uh, Jed, that, uh, that we're forgetting or any other tips you have? So uh, we spoke a lot about burning top water, which I think is a fun technique. Um, slowing down is can be a very good one as well. You know, on top water, uh, I have a package here of one of my favorite top water buzz baits, and it's the Cabotron. Um, and they advertise that as the slowest buzz bait ever. Um, that can be pretty good because essentially it's staying in the strike zone longer, you know. So uh, it can be the proper technique. And the same thing, like we said before, about the versatility of an angler, you know. Hey, maybe have one get ready to burn and have one that's a little bit slower. And then once you get that bite, you draw that attention, you can stick to that, you know, a little bit more. Um, besides that there, I, you know, uh, along with top water, like the subsurface stuff is fun. You know, that's really cool. Like I know a lot of people are throwing like the rats and the mouse presentation and that's, you know, essentially it is top water. Uh, it might be an inch below or, or, or less, um, but they can draw some pretty awesome strikes too that you can visually see. I think it's one of the appeals of top waters because you know you're getting a hit. You know, I mean, I think a lot of times with jig fishing, finesse fishing, whatever, you get hits too, uh, probably as many, but you just don't feel them all the time. You know what I mean? So when you mm -hmm. can you visually see these fish attacking your bait, that's that's like the contagion. You know, that's the cool part. That's you know you're doing something right. And, um, it's fun, you know, you get the confirmation of it. Uh, but, but yeah, so I think experimenting um, with, you know, what we were talking about, like uh, with, you know, Ryan there, as far as trailers or whatnot, like um, 
I've seen people use grubs and flukes and all these different things. Yeah, it's not going to hurt. You know what I mean? A skirt, you can slide right back onto that buzz bait. So, you know, getting creative and, and thinking outside the box a little bit, it can be uh, can be fun. And then, you know, when you, when you start doing those things, that's like your secret in front of your buddies. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no, I don't have any more of those white <laughs> anymore. You know, so. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it can be uh, it can be the game changer, like I said. So. Just being versatile, going out there, and if you're gonna commit a day to throw on top water, you know maybe rig up your four rods with that top water too, or you know different top water baits. Um, try that slow cadence of the popper, or try that uh, that fast moving, you know walk the dog bait, or whatnot. Like uh, it can be pretty pretty fun, you know. So, so um, I'm sorry. Uh, you yes, just you just reminded me. I was going to ask you earlier. You said when I asked you about throwing a trailer, you said something about a trailer hook and killing fish. Now, that, that made me interested. I haven't I haven't thought about throwing a, a trailer hook on a buzz bait, but I did order some for spinner baits because that was a technique that I kind of wanted to try out a little more. And uh, so, so can you talk about? that a little bit like you said something about killing fish is that something that i shouldn't do like um i, I would i mean I, I see why people throw them you know for you get those short strikes or whatever else mm-hmm. and you're probably gonna catch more fish um that maybe you wouldn't have before it's just me personally i'm not a, a big fan of them because of you know the aggression that we spoke of earlier of some of these smallmouth or whatnot like Man, I've caught fish that they would have the whole buzz bait wedged inside their mouth. And sometimes they're not even big fish. It's just like, wow, they took, you know, essentially a, a five-inch bait of, you know, twisted metal and uh, and lead and everything else. And it's all the way in their head as fast as they, they ate it, you know. It's already right there. So with that being said, sometimes a trailer hook would, uh, would cause a mess. But, you know, it's down a little bit further in the gills or in the gullet or whatnot. So, yeah. I just chose. That not makes to. sense. Yeah, but I know people have had you know pretty good success with them as well as spinner baits, uh, buzz baits, having that trailer hook on there. Um, so yeah. it sounds like, to me, it kind of sounds like something like, you know, don't start out using it, but if you're getting a lot of short strikes, maybe throw one on there. If you have the option, yeah, because I think a lot of it they'll just use like a little uh, piece of surgical tube over the eyelet of. Yeah second hook so you should be able to kind of maybe take that on and off you know it might might be a little difficult getting it off but definitely wouldn't be hard to get it on so um, now they, maybe, they pop right on i put one on a spinner bait yeah. just to test it out and you know it it'll slide right on cool yeah but yeah like you said there again too if it works for you then uh yeah go with it you know that's a <laughs> i hate to say anything i'll never throw a you know a certain presentation or whatever but uh but yeah it's um I've experimented with like uh, certain trailer hooks and other presentations, even soft plastics and stuff that uh, for one, for instance, I was burning um, and or even just putting the hook further back in the, the soft plastic. And I, I didn't notice any uh, increase in, you know, the amount of fish that I actually caught or whatnot or that stuff to it. Um, in general, I usually use pretty thin wire hooks, you know what I mean? I, I don't, I can go straight to a five watt, like heavy duty hook and, you know, but in general, um, usually some pretty, uh, 
pretty thin gauge wire hooks, you know, and I think that they just stick, they just stick to that better. So even making some of those buzz baits, I'll use, if I'm making them, um, I'll use a smaller hook than I think that you would find in any production models. So I think that helps out with the hookup percentage a good bit as well. That makes sense. Yeah, I've definitely taken a liking the thinner wire hooks. Yeah, finesse fishing and whatnot too. That's uh that's pretty much the only way I go with that. But well it well something that uh you know, I don't know if it's you know, knowledge outside the podcast, but something we've talked about a lot, you know, inside the podcast, like in our group chat and stuff, is you know, one of our sponsors is Jig Masters and they make a flipping and football head jig with a light wire hook and one of the talks about it is you know being in a kayak you know we don't have the hook setting pattern or power of you know say somebody on the bank or in a boat one we're not standing as much two we you know we're in this light kayak so when we do this you know the kayak can jerk up and all so that lighter wire hook allows for you not to have to have as much power to get it to penetrate so being in a kayak I, a lot of the stuff i throw is smaller hooks now cool because yeah. the, i never thought about the i guess you know the platform that we use but it is it is associated to it It'd be a disadvantage to leverage like you're saying for sure so you come on here to teach us stuff and we teach you something you know? hey. <laughs> i mean I, I don't think i made up any of this stuff so I'm, i try to learn every day for sure you know from, from everybody but yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, uh, I was going to ask, uh, how about snap swivels? I know we were talking a while ago, we were talking about ploppers on one of our other uh, broadcasts and uh, we talked about putting a snap swivel on the front to keep the line twist. Is that anything else that you would put that on or do you use them at all? Um, I don't use them just because I, I dislike having that extra bit of, you know, something else that could fail or break or whatnot. Also, kind of get snagged. A lot of times, top water, like I said, I'll throw it in some pretty heavy structure. If there's grass or anything, those little things get caught on those pretty, you know, pretty easily. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could see why people would use them, but, uh, but now I'm a more of a fan of a direct connection to all the boards. Yeah. Okay. Especially water, I'd say. All right. So, I think uh, I'm out of questions, man. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I think I pretty much cover everything. I wrote a few notes down or whatnot, but, you know, just try to – I know I bounced around a lot in conversation, so I apologize for that. But, uh, no, I think it was good. good. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> a lot of good info. Uh, but, you got any uh, sponsors you want to shout out real quick? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wilderness Systems has always been there. Um, I really appreciate them. Uh, they've taken care of me for – I don't know. I think I've been with them for about seven years now or whatever. Um, Eastern Panhandle Bicycles uh, out of Martinsburg, West Virginia. Good guys there. And uh, White Fly Outfitters, you know, I've worked for them for a long time. Um, fantastic group of guys, you know, cool shop. Uh, same thing there. Just uh, helped me along my way for sure. Definitely in the learning progression and, and, uh, a lot of information from those guys so over the years they they probably won one of my bigger ones um yeah so i think those guys there's been a bunch of people throughout the years that have helped me out in a huge way so 
How about where can uh, people find you if they want to look you up on uh, social media? Social media, I think I'm I'm only doing Facebook. That's about it. It's just it I Plunker. Yeah. Lots of fish pictures, a tattoo here and there, and uh, maybe a fire engine. I'm not sure. A little bit of everything. (laughs) That's cool. Are you still doing tattooing, or do you take a break from that? I am. Yeah, that's what I was talking to you guys last night, actually. Um, I was there pretty late the last two nights, and now I'll go back to the fire station tomorrow. Oh. So I work uh, work 24 hours, and I'm off three. And usually out of those three days, I'm tattooing two of them. So wow. okay. Still at yeah. it's going on uh, 19 or 20 years now. So that's when, cool. when you said at the, sh- your, at the shop, I don't know why, but I've saw kayak shop that's what i was thinking too <laughs> so yeah. so my next tattoo i need to come see you then that's it yes sir yeah i was thinking that too man i i i've been trying to think of a good uh, fish one since now that's you know what i'm into so uh cool. we yeah, can sketch so, up some stuff and uh and get it drawn up man that'd be cool that'd be awesome that would <laughs> be awesome over tattooing same time so everybody be... everybody hit up uh jedediah you know use promo code Paddle and fan, he's gonna give you a free tattoo. (laughs) 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 Be careful, you get what you pay for. (laughs) Some hidden objects and some of those things. If you (laughs) (laughs) all right, man. Well, thanks again for coming on, Jedediah. It was awesome. Uh, we'll definitely uh, hit you up again sometime. I, I'm definitely interested in uh, potentially getting a tattoo. It's been something I've been thinking about adding to my my other tattoos for a while. So I, I'm going to hit you up on that. Cool, man. Yeah, well, thanks, guys, for having me. And, uh, yeah, let me know when you're ready to rock and roll with that. And we'll do a compound trip, man. Maybe we'll do some fishing and tattooing. And oh, dude, that's, that's what we have to do. So, you yeah, you just take the river water and rub it into the tattoo to, you know, <laughs> absolutely man i I haven't been inked in so long it's it's been forever since i've got any ink work done and you know i I feel stupid because i got like a tattoo on my forearm and one of my upper arm but i have no other tattoos and so like this arm's completely blank canvas well this arm's got two tattoos so i need i need to even it up there you go or tie them all together that's fine too we can do the whole thing The last one that I got actually I've done myself and it was uh it's a giant smallmouth, like it's the largest tattoo that I wear and it's on my leg, just from my knee, like up over my hip. So I haven't wow. finished it yet, but I got a lot done in one shot. So can, yeah, it's can, um, you, can you like, like put it in screen? I'm sorry. Are are you able to put it in screen so we can uh, see it? I can maybe show you some here without revealing too much. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so it goes so the idea was i'm not sure if you can see that or not the idea is this is a ted and then okay. the leaves um were from different places around that i fish a lot so the leaves will be color eventually in the small mouth that's like i said just his head and gill plate and it goes all the way up into here oh wow um, yeah, so you can kind of make out some. Yeah, we're looking to see all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, there's a there's a there's a handful of tattoos on me for sure, but that one, like I said, I'm excited to finish that up because I think with the color and the leaves and stuff, it all would be pretty cool. And you're um, doing that yourself? Yeah, that's, that's I'm awesome. right hand, so it's like all the way across my own body. Oh. It's a little, literal pain in the ass. Like it really is. <laughs> 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 but, oh, yeah. Man. 
I get into some stuff, man. I a little bit of everything, but <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. Let me know if you guys want some tattoos. We can we'll line it up. I'm usually booked out a couple months, so just give me a heads up, and we'll we'll start our work going. But yeah. that'll be. Yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on here and talking with us. It's, it's been a good time. Um, everybody, it's been uh, Bass Fishing Produce on the Paddle and Fin Podcast, bringing you the techniques, tricks, and tips to help you rip more lips. Later. Later, guys. Have a good one, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Fin. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Fin on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler Button, and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures located in Northern Illinois for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. TRC Covers, protect your investment. Catch Products, shout out to Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com and put the Paddle in Fin logo directly on your catch board. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com, use promo code PNF20 and save 20% on all your jig and tackle needs.